Morning, friends. Good to see you this morning. Uh, let's see. When I mention heroes and villains, what comes to your mind? So this is the interactive portion. So, okay. No, 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 no. Don't go spiritual on me. Don't like that spiritual stuff, right? Captain America. Okay, that's pretty cool. Batman, we're getting there. Iron Man. Popeye. Aquaman. How many men are there? Okay. Oh, Pastor John, I like that one. Probably on the villain side, but uh, the Lone Ranger. Whoa, Lone Ranger. That's going back a ways. Good. Hulk Hogan. You married him. What can I say? Okay. Good. Nate. Who? Bible man. Bible man. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Good. Anybody else? Hero or villain? Who? Hulk. The Hulk? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in just a second. Who? Star Wars? Yeah, that's a really good one. All right. But let's give you a few here. Uh, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. Right? Kind of a good combo. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. Yep. Batman and... No, the Joker. Come on, come on. Let's, let's get with it here. Don, Don, stay up with me here, bud. Come on, come on. Yeah, okay. Uh, this one, uh, Lassie versus the Great White Shark. My money is on the Great White Shark, by the way, uh, on this one. Okay. Uh, Rocky Balboa, Ivan Drago. Ooh, that was a classic, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy and the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Oh, we could go on and on. This is kind of fun. <laughs> Don, what are you laughing about? Okay, it's wonderful to hear you laugh. How many of you are sitting next to a hero? How many of you are sitting next to a villain? <laughs> I love it when both couples, the couples, both hands go up. <laughs> love that. All right, wait. Hey, if you want to pay attention or follow along, we have sermon notes. If you didn't get them on the way in, you're welcome to get them now. Anybody needs sermon notes? If you're new around here, maybe you didn't get them. Good. Just stick your hand up. Our guys will get you some. There. Good. The Bible also has a whole bunch of great heroes and villains. In its story, in fact, according to the biographical Bible, there are 3,237 Bible characters named in the Scripture that actually have a name. Now, this isn't counting duplicates like there's many guys with the same name. But 3,237 separate Bible characters. Now, that's a lot to pick from. So, in what we're trying to do over these next few weeks, we've narrowed our search for heroes and villains just to the Old Testament, right? So that knocks out a bunch of them. And we whittled it down to just seven, which you're going to be hearing about over the next couple of months. Old Testament heroes and villains. Now, there's lots of famous and not-so-famous bad guys and girls in the Bible and in the Old Testament. Here are some that we that didn't make the list that I wish we had time to talk about. Uh, Delilah. Delilah was deceptive and cunning. Uh, who did she trick? Samson into revealing the source of his strength, which was what? Yeah, yeah. Then she betrayed him, gave him up to the Philistines, and walked away 
golden, literally. That is found in Judges chapter 16. She was rewarded for his, her betrayal. Then there's Haman. He schemed up a plot to wipe out the entire Jewish nation because this guy named Mordecai didn't bow before him. That really ticked him off. However, Queen Esther stepped in, foiled that evil plan, and Haman ended up on the same gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai. What goes around comes around. Be very careful. That story is found in Esther chapter 3. Then there's Jezebel. Ooh, Jezebel. Jezebel. She was an evil princess who married Ahab, king of Israel. Uh, She brought with her all her gods from the coast uh, into the nation of Israel, and her wicked schemes would end up corrupting the entire nation for generations to come. She holds, by the way, the number one ranking as the most evil woman in the Bible. Number one, Jezebel. First Kings 18, 19, and 21 is where you'll found the account of Jezebel. All right? And so, Athaliah was the daughter of evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. That was their daughter. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Just read this story, and uh, yours won't seem quite so bad. Uh, she was ruthless, wicked, destroyed the, in the entire royal family of the house of Judah and forced herself onto the throne for six really nasty years, corrupted both the north and the south, and like mother, like daughter, right? And so that was kind of passed down. Second Chronicles chapter 22 is where you're going to find that. But as I think about uh, these kinds of villains, at least in the Old Testament, uh, the true definition of villain is Satan, is Satan. He tried to make himself like God. He tried to take over the whole world. He tried to thwart the plans of the hero's hero. And we know what's going to happen when our hero happens to be Jesus, and I trust that it is. We definitely know that we've got nothing to fear. That's what the Bible says. He's going down. If you want to know the outcome of what's going to happen to Satan, check Revelation 12, 7 to 9, other parts of Revelation. But Old Testament heroes and villains is where we're headed over these remaining summer months. And this morning, I'd like to give us just a little snippet of what you can expect in this series. And let's begin with a guy named Cain. Cain was the first child ever born as recorded in Scripture. So we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 is where we find the story of Cain. So the first child born. Uh, And understand, he didn't evolve. He was born. I think that's significant. In fact, the Hebrew word for Cain means created one. Created one. So he was the first child ever born. Uh, Who were his parents, by the way? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had sexual relations with his wife. Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant when she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the Lord's help, I have created or produced a man, therefore Cain. Okay? Now, Cain had a brother. What was his brother's name? Abel. Now, Cain was a farmer like his dad, and his brother Abel was a shepherd. These are still two of the primary occupations of this part of the world today. Now, I don't care how old you think the world is. It really doesn't make any difference. But in Genesis, we read this account in 4 that these were the earliest of occupations, which continue to be the occupations. So if you want to think the world's millions of years old, then these guys have been doing a long time. Anyway, both brothers brought sacrifices to God. 
One was accepted, one was rejected. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly why Cain's was rejected, but we certainly know what his reaction was. Here's how he responded. Cain was very angry. Cain was very angry. Now, Cain wasn't happy that God favored his brother's offering over his, so he got a little frustrated, got a little uh, upset about this inter-family kind of squabble. God calls him out. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why are you so angry? Hmm. Then he goes on to say, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You must subdue it and be its master. How does that work out, trying to subdue your anger? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Well, God gave Cain the opportunity to get it right. Every opportunity to do it right. But Cain refused to listen to God. His anger would then begin to consume him, and his next decision would haunt him for the rest of his life. And I guarantee you, decisions that are made in anger will haunt us the rest of our life. And so Proverbs 29.22 kicks in. An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. And so here we've got the very first human being born into the world. He is angry. He's a fighter. He's a brawler. And this is going to have consequences to the, all the way down to you and me sitting in here this morning. Huh. So... One day, Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Now, the first child ever born becomes the first murderer, as recorded in Scripture, and his brother is the first human being to die. Welcome to the human family separated from God. This is normal stuff. We kill each other. We feed on each other. We're angry with each other. And the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, they became separated from God. And in that moment, the legacy began. Cain got angry and killed his brother. Kind of a sad, sad tale, right? But the truth is, you're sitting next to a murderer. In fact, you're a murderer. And you're a murderer, and you're a murderer, and you're a murderer. You say, I haven't killed anybody. Oh, yes, you have. I guarantee you, you have. According to the standards of Jesus, you're a murderer. Hey, it's not me. It's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus said. You're familiar with the command of the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with our brother or sister is guilty of murder. And if you tell me you're not an angry person, you're a liar. You're a liar. And if you're an angry person and have been angry at another human being, you've murdered that person in your heart. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Causes us to begin to think a little bit differently. But we're just living out our legacy, passed down from Cain, the first human being born who became the first murderer and his brother, the first person to die. <laughs> Ah. 
Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Famous response. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) Even after being rebuked by God, Cain let his jealousy take over. His offering was accepted, mine's not. And in his anger, he kills his brother. And then he lies to God about it. And so uh, an angry person commits all kinds of sin. And one stacks right on top of another. And from the heart, all of these actions flow. The issue is the heart, not the action. The issue is inside of us. So what do we do about that? Where do we go with this? How do we handle this? So the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, old farmer guy. No matter how hard you work from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And the consequences of sin can continue for a lifetime and beyond. Now you will be a homeless wanderer. On the earth. So, Cain grew up to be an angry man, turned into tragedy with his brother. Parents with multiple children try really hard to minimize the conflicts between their kids. If you have multiple kids, you get it. Here's what often it looks like That's my brother or sister. So, which one are you in the video, by the way? <laughs> you see, sibling relationships can go from cooperative to competitive to toxic in a matter of seconds. Have you had that happen? Those of you with multiple siblings or multiple children, you get that. Some parents lament, I just pray they don't kill each other before they grow up, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you're not, you, you get all that. But for me, I learned to love and learn to fight with my siblings. I've got three of them. Now, my brother's two years older than me. Uh, he's, he's a doctor in Milwaukee, been there for decades, and uh, he just loves people. He was always a, a really passive kind of guy. He wasn't a physical in that sense. Um, I was a little more emotional and responsive emotionally. So when we would fight, it was interesting uh, as our characters came out. Uh, my brother was on the cutting edge of rock and roll, so in the 60s, uh, he, when my parents went to work, he would put the speakers in the window and then crank up the volume. Oh, that used to drive me nuts to hear Abbey Road over and over and over again. So I took matters into my own hands and I cut the power cord. <laughs> he didn't like that, but he's passive, Right. He didn't beat me up. He didn't. I'm sure he thought about it, but he didn't. But what he did is he went for the jugular. You see, I had a very special G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, in his vindictive, manipulative mind, Rudy, if you're listening to this, it's true. Uh, he took my G.I. Joe, and he threw it up on a roof, and it kind of settled into a place where there's no way I could get that thing, even with a ladder. And what was interesting to me, he went back to the house we were raised in 10 years later, and that G.I. Joe was still up on the roof. (laughs) I'm like, that is totally cool. But that's where I learned to love and where I learned how to fight with my siblings, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? 
But I wonder, how do we react when someone responds negatively, when we've done something uh, just a little bit differently than they would have done it, or it's just not their way that they would have done it? How do we respond then? Most of us get mad. Most of us get mad. Some here, in fact, I would venture to say a lot of us right here, right now, are mad on the inside. Mad at the whole world. Mad at the person you're seated beside. Mad at another person. You're mad at God. You're mad at the circumstances that have just happened to you. You're mad at yourself because you failed. But we're all mad at something, it seems. And so it pops out in our attitudes and, and depression and violence, physical problems, all kinds of other ways it's going to come out sideways eventually. Now, as we think about this, everyone gets angry. It's a basic emotion that every one of us was wired with. How do we know this? Because God gets angry. And if we are created in the image of God, we therefore will get angry. Makes sense, doesn't it? Of course. So the question is, becomes, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Cain acted out his anger. It was unfiltered. He just responded. And I know, because I know myself, that you've responded that way. I'll just soon smack you, kill you, run you off the road, do whatever, right? It's just the way a lot of folk respond. And so anger ranges from this mild annoyance to violent rage. You've got this spectrum. Some are really good at passive-aggressive anger, and they're just kind of playing with it. Others just erupt. It may be hidden away on the inside or open for all the world to see. And you've seen that in a two-year-old toddler in the checkout line who doesn't get what they want, and suddenly they become very angry and very loud and very demanding, right? It may pass quickly or may persist for decades. It may grow into bitterness and resentment and hatred. At times, anger feels like an inner fire. That's just something in there that's just kind of burning. It hits you in the gut. It doesn't let up. You see red. You feel hot. You begin to sweat like a pig when you think about this. Your stomach churns. Your blood pressure rises. Your palms start to sweat. Your nostrils flare. Your jaw tightens. Some say, it's like my blood is boiling. It just feels like my blood is boiling. And because anger is so commonplace... Because it's such a common piece of the human pie that we're consisted of, because it's such a threat to relationships, it's not surprising the Bible has some very strong things to say then about anger. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but there's nearly 600 references just in the Old Testament to wrath and anger. And a lot of it's God's anger. So, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And just focus on one verse as we close. It's found in Ephesians 4.26. I'm going to use the New American Standard Bible, NASB. Now, if you're looking for the most literal word-for-word translation of the Bible, go to the NASB, right? It's just like Greek, word, boom, English, boom, boom. It doesn't real, read really smooth, but it is the most literal that we can find, both in Greek and in Hebrew. Uh, I like how raw it is. It says, be angry, Paul wrote, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. These are actually three imperatives. These are three commands found in this one verse in the original language. So let's break it down. Be angry. Literally, the apostle commands us to be angry. He's not saying don't be angry. He's saying be angry. Be angry. 
Why? Because we're all angry anyway. What are we doing with this, right? Just don't stop there. God gave us anger. It's a necessary emotion for a healthy human being created in the image of God. Anger can be destructive. So many believers think that the Bible teaches that all anger is sinful. It does not teach that at all. It's all about what we do with our anger. So not having been raised in the church, in my observation over three decades in ministry, is a lot of goody-two-shoes, born-again believers raised in Christian homes. They're, oh, such good kids, such good kids. Don't ever get angry. Don't get angry. Are you kidding me? Don't get angry? What is that person going to do but stuff it inside? It's all going to come out sideways in some really ugly ways in their adult years. And we're taught that Christians don't get angry. You've got to be like Jesus, this weird little effeminate, glowing picture thing of who he is. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The Bible literally says, be angry. But it doesn't end there. So if you were raised under that false impression that Christians don't get anger or you should never show your anger, uh, that's uh, not true. Uh, The Bible does not teach that. Sorry to blow up your little evangelical world there, but the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says, rather, be angry. Okay, that's the easy part. Because we're all ticked off at something, right? We're all ticked off at something. Be angry. Doesn't stop there. Be angry. What's the next command? Don't sin. Be angry. Don't sin. Now, how do we put those together? How do we put those together? Okay? Someone want to take a crack at that? You great theologian? No, actually, what I prefer is some real common sense. How can we be angry and not sin? Don't give me this spiritual gobbledygook that we use in the church about... No, go ahead, take a crack. Don't take, it out on else. Don't take it out on somebody else. Okay, I think that's a good start. Don't take your anger out on somebody else. We'll, t- we'll look at this in just a minute. What really is the source of our anger, right? Yeah, good. What else? Talk to God about it? Good. There's got to be some outlet, some release of our anger, correct? Good. Adam. Okay, yeah, that's kind of where I'm headed with this. So thank you. That's a good segue. This command is not to avoid anger, but sinful anger. So what then is sinful anger? Sinful anger centers on us rather than on God. Now let me unpackage that. Research shows that nearly 80% of our anger comes from the actions of other people rather than events or circumstances. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? Then say it back to me. What did I just say? Yes, rather than events or circumstances. So right now, we get angry at people, right? So it's a a whole lot different. If if the line is slow at Walmart, I start to get a little frustrated, right, at the circumstance because i got to be somewhere, as opposed to when a driver cuts me off. Now it's personal, right? Now it's you against me. And my car's faster than yours. I almost guarantee you, right? Okay? So now it's personal. So 80% or better of our anger is directed towards another person. Another person. Hmm. What do we do with that then? What do we do with that? 
I'm going to give you permission to get mad, really ticked off, really upset over that which makes our father mad, period. Anything beyond that is sinful anger. So that's where I start. Okay, who can give me some things that God gets angry about? Because if I'm a Jesus follower, I want to make sure that I'm not participating or doing things that makes God angry. Because when God gets angry, uh, he disciplines us in love, right? Because he loves us. What are some things that make God angry? If I am giving you permission and myself permission to be angry over those things that make God angry, what makes God angry? Pride. Pride makes God angry. I agree with that. Proverbs makes that extremely clear. God gets angry at pride. What else? Unfaithfulness, okay, okay. Now, he's working with that, though, right? It disappoints him, and he will, yes, good. Good, Michelle. What else? Disobedience Disobedience makes God angry. Really? So if he tells you to do stuff and you don't do it, does God get angry when you don't do exactly what he tells you to do? Yes. You're sticking with a story. He's sticking with a story. I'm not giving up. You're a stubborn man. Yes. You know what God gets angry about? Stubbornness. Yes. You're right, though. There's a point when God understands that we're going to mess up. He knows that. He loves us in spite of that. But if we are living a lifestyle of repetitively throwing God's grace back up into his face and saying, I know this is going to hurt you, God, but I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. And then I'm going to get angry because my anger is directed at another person, right? And I'm going to stay angry. And we're going to look at this when we get to Bimelech next month. I'm looking forward to this one because... Uh, I won't give it away. Uh, What else makes God angry? Abuse. Yeah. Oppression and justice. God gets really upset over these kinds of things. So what I'm saying is, do a little study on your own about those things that make God angry. I think you'll be fascinated by it. And I give you permission, you can be angry about that. You can get all ticked off about that because that anger will be turned into action to make a difference in the world, to right a relationship. It's motivation. It's not destructive. And that's God's plan in all of this. Make sense to you? Some of you are looking at me like, mm-hmm. anybody got a question? It's about to finish. Question? Yeah, bearing a false witness. What does that mean? That's that's like Christianese. Okay, yeah. If we're leading someone down a wrong path, in other words, if our life is disconnected, if we stood here and sang the songs that we just did and go out and live like we don't believe it, you think God likes that? No. No, he, he wants us consistent, right? Are we always consistent? No. Does he love us? 
Even in his anger? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Never forget that. But I want to be angry over that which makes God angry. But I find the vast majority of my anger is selfish anger. Right? So then what do I do? Who had a question? Oh, Lisa. Oh, no. This is going to be like a home group question. You better strap it on here. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. these things that examples that people have thrown out there but God could get disappointed and sad in me without going Mark 5 and angry right away okay do you hear what Lisa said I think that's an important point Uh, we can mess up and God will become disappointed in us without going to anger I think that's an important point we need to clear up because we're all sinners correct in fact, we're all murderers. We've just established that. Yeah. So Lisa's got the perception that that anger is 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 going to be punitive. It's going to be for punishment. But God disciplines those He loves. In fact, in that same passage in Hebrews, He scourges them with a whip. Ooh. You, you break down those words, and, and yeah, uh, that gets a little more intriguing. So I don't want us to have our perception of God being this angry God in the sky who every time we mess up just gets ticked off at us. That's not who God is, right? So when I'm saying that God gets angry, uh, what I'm trying to explain is that if we're going to do that which uh, tramples on the work of Jesus on the cross, in other words, we know the right thing to do, and we kind of throw that back in God's face and say, I don't give a rip. Then God will take that going from disciplining in love to making sure that he is going to correct us for our own benefit, right? Always in love. And we don't have enough time to explain all this. But the one thing I don't want to leave you with is any image in your mind that God is an angry God? Anger is a part of his character. Anger is expressed. I don't also want to swing the pendulum way to the other side and go with this touchy-feely Jesus kind of thing. Everything is love. Because God is holy. God is just. God is love. He is all of those things. And they come in perfect balance with God. I can't do that. You can't do that. Let me ask you, Lisa, what do you get angry about? Okay, that was good. That was, that's all I needed. She, <laughs> yes, correct. But even from your cultural background, you've been taught that anger is not an emotion to be expressed. Correct. Right, right. But you see, all of us get angry. question is, what are we going to do with it? Be angry. Don't sin. Not good. I hope you guys wrestle with this. Don? Um, I was asked a question uh, just a second ago by Orlando. 
somebody else to get angry, provoke somebody to be angry, does that make God angry? If you provoke someone else to anger, does that upset God? What do you think? If you cut someone off and you're driving, you're the other person. Who's really at fault? In my mind, they're at fault. That's a very good question. I think that's an excellent question. Bill? So what if my righteous life causes someone to be angry? Ah, did you hear what Bill said? What if me living for God causes someone else to be angry? And that does happen, correct? When you stand up for Jesus in your family and in your workplace, that can tick some people off. You goody-two-shoe Christian, holier-than-thou, judgmental, evangelical, whatever you want to call you. It would be better for a millstone to be tied around the neck and cast into the ocean than for you to cause a little one to stumble, Jesus said. Now, you call that anger, you can call that whatever you want, but there's a warning there. Don't cause others to stumble, right? It'd be better for you, yeah. Marshall? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. God's always dealing with our heart and the intentions of our heart. The actions and the consequences are going to play themselves out, but God's always looking at our character and at our heart. I think that's absolutely crucial. Hmm? Oh, uh, Marshall, you say that a little louder. Okay. The intentionality, I think that's an important piece, don't you? Because one thing, if something happens and boom, you kind of flare up, as opposed to you have calculated intentionally gone down that road. It's good stuff. All right, we got to quit. All right, last command, don't hold on to anger. Anger festers. Now, uh, over the 4th of July, we had, what, five grandkids with us? Three, Cam, how many in diapers? Anyway, our kitchen garbage gets filled with poopy diapers. It's like, man, all of a sudden, my grandkids put out these big looging things, and when the diapers get in there, it's like, oh, it's time to take it out. It's stinking up the whole place. It's like, whoa, it'll tear you and your family to pieces, anger will, unless we deal with it, right? Don't hold on to the anger. Take it out, please. (laughs) Okay, some of you are with me still. Thank you. But I don't know how many nights I've been upset with my wife and I cling to my side of the bed, seething in anger over something that I misunderstood, never intended. But for me, it was reality. And I was angry with her. I want to make sure we don't touch. You stay on your side of the bed, I'll stay on my side of the bed. hug my side and I face the wall and I'm angry. 
don't hold on to anger. And if you're angry right now, get some help. Because the consequences of that are just like Cain and Abel. Somebody's going to get hurt. Something's going to die. Some thought questions for later. What made me angry today or this week? Where is my anger coming from? Why is my anger so intense over something so small? Is my anger for the benefit of another or is it directed toward another? Did I provoke someone else to anger? That's what you asked today or this week. But I got some really good news. There's no need to rant, rave, blow your stack, lose your cool. No one here needs to leave captive to their anger. There is an answer, and I'm not oversimplifying. Sin can and does gain a foothold in our lives. Eventually, that sin will become a stranglehold. That's why God so desires that we be free. Here's what he said to Cain. The first human being born, the first murderer. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You see, here's what happened for the next how many thousands of years. We can't master our sin. We can't subdue it. That is the message of Jesus, to do that which we could not do for ourselves. The whole law was designed so that we could act in conformity with God so we wouldn't be angry. We can't do it. Sin will overtake us. That's why God sent his son to do that which only he could do, make a way back to God for us. We can't subdue it. He gave Cain an impossible task. You must subdue it and be its master. We can't master our sin. It will eventually master us. I've tried it. I know you have too. It comes only by surrendering to what Jesus has done for us. Surrendering to God's strength. That's the only way we can subdue our anger or any other sin. That's the only way. Sin need not be our anger or our master. Here's what Paul wrote. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. That's what we sang for the first song this morning. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you know Jesus, say that. Sin is no longer your master. Now, personalize it. Sin is no longer my master. Those can be empty words, or that can be living truth. The choice is ours. If we will surrender to what God has, we can subdue sin. Otherwise, we're just going to keep banging our head against the wall. Jesus sets the captive free. That's what he came to do. That which we couldn't do on our, on our own. We can't subdue our own sin. He can. He took it all upon him at the cross. Jesus, indeed. Now, the first step is owning that sin. If you're an angry person, say that. I'm an angry person. Yeah. Hey, I get angry. You get angry? If you say you don't, you're a liar. Everybody gets angry. 
right? Then surrendering is the next step. Okay, I'm angry. God, I surrender this to you. I surrender this to you. Finally, then, once we've surrendered to God, that's easy to do, but it costs you everything. We've got to live honestly. We've got to put accountability in our lives, and we've got to stay in recovery because we're all in recovery from that which has separated us from God. Be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Help me, Jesus. Help me. I surrender. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're very grateful for the truth of your word. And the final outcome is that you have sent your son to appease the wrath of God and the anger of God. And I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you bore our punishment. And by your stripes, we are healed. And that you are for us and not against us. And you love us enough to correct us, even rebuke us. Thank you, Father, for displaying your love. And I'm asking, Father, that you would give us the ability as individuals, as families, to own the legacy that we've been given. And some of us come from a long line of angry people. And I'm asking, Father, that that which was started with Cain will end at the cross. And that there would be a new legacy written in each heart and in each home. One that's filled with life and love and joy and peace. And God, for those here who need accountability to help them, I pray that they would step forward, own it, and say, I need some help. And that for all of us, we would be reminded (laughs) we're all in recovery. And I'm grateful, Father, for the love that you've shown us again and again and again, for the forgiveness you've extended to us, and the fact that you are not angry with us right now as we turn to you. In fact, Lord, you're not angry even with unbelievers because you so love them that you sent your son. Thank you for that love. And so, Lord, would you continue the transforming work of my heart to make me more like Jesus and a whole lot less like John? Speak to us. Free us and fill us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.